Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on Twip, Aperture 3, Ready or Not, we dive deep into the new software release and discuss this important new tool from Apple. All that coming your way right now on This Week in Photography. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP. Welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today is a very special show, and I know I say that every week. But this is really a very, very special show because a piece of software was released into the photography universe uh, several days ago that is very important to advanced amateurs, amateurs, and professional photographers. Uh, and that is Aperture 3 from Apple, of course. So uh, we decided to take this opportunity with this week in photography to, to talk about that release and um, you know, we've assembled some some folks that have some really deep knowledge on the software. First up is joining us again on the show is Mr. Derek Story. Hey Derek. Frederick, great to be back. Thank you for coming. Like I was saying before we started recording, you you will be serving as the adult supervision on this show. So that's right. That's <laughs> so, right. <I> because <laughs> you, I mean, everyone knows that you are. I mean, you're a trainer of this stuff. You train on Lightroom. You train on Aperture. You train on iPhoto, photography. Bridge. Yeah, Bridge everything. So yep. uh, you're you're in a unique position, I think, to help help us understand what the deltas are between the two um, and not let this get into a uh, mudslinging fight. So perfect. I'll try to keep you and Ron from, you know, <laughs> locking <laughs> horns there. Thank you. And speaking of Ron, Mr. Ron Brinkman coming from Southern California is Hello. on the line. Hello, Ron. Hey, how are we doing? We're doing, we're doing really good. Now you, I heard a rumor that you, you were on the beta for the software. Is that correct? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny the fact that I've been playing with it for <laughs> so presumably because i've only been playing with it for literally two days because i was in Macworld, um you're you've been marinating in the software so you'll you'll you can tell us the good the bad the ugly at, from a beta tester and now a final user perspective yeah yeah i mean i uh you know i have a sort of my workflow is is probably somewhat specific and there are definitely pieces of it that i never bothered you know never bothered to go into very much yeah um, but certainly there's, there's areas of it that I can talk about quite a bit. Perfect. And then finally on the show, Mr. Joseph Lenashke, who's also the guy behind, um, apertureexpert.com, which is, and he just, you, Joseph, you just launched that site a couple of weeks ago. How timely. I know. <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah. What a coinky dink. Oh, I wonder how that happened, <laughs> but that's good. So it's a, that's a, you want to describe the site for us real quick before we move on? Sure. It, uh, it is a new site that I started just at the beginning of January. And basically, it's a kind of a tips and tricks place for Aperture users. Yeah, I've been post. over there. It's fun. It's fun. 
Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, you know, trying to post some fairly regular tips up there. Um, you know, kind of detailed workflows and techniques and have ebooks up there for sale and just a, a basic all-around Aperture-specific support site. It's been really popular. It's been a lot of fun. Very cool. All right. And with that, let's uh, let's just jump right in. Um, we, we've got just a little bit of time, I guess, to squeeze in, what, some 200-plus new features that they're <laughs> yeah. Features are bigger than others. <laughs> yes, yeah, as such is life, Derek. But, you know, <laughs> having said that, I mean, Apple typically plays this game of, you know, we have X hundred features kind of thing. Yeah. There are a lot of new things in this release. Yeah. I mean, when I first started playing with it, I was like, wow, and, you know, Granted, it took them a long time to do this too. So you know, you would hope that after because it's been I think two years since Aperture Two Almost. was, was it two years? Yeah, You're two years, man. Wow. Yeah. So okay, so Ron, you, so you you kicked it off. So you played with the app mm-hmm. when you when when the final release hit. What what's the most important new feature of these two hundred uh, um, for you? For for me, it's the the image editing. Capabilities have really been dramatically increased, and especially as the localized, uh, the localized brush control. Uh, you pretty much can paint anything on or off of the image uh, in a much more kind of general purpose fashion than you could do in Lightroom. Uh, and you know, I've been in and out of Lightroom too, as well. And uh, Lightroom has a lot of nice brush controls, but you're sort of limited to what they choose to let you use on a brush. Whereas uh, Aperture has done it a little more general purpose where pretty much every adjustment can be attached to a brush and can be brushed on or off. So that's the thing I'm finding myself using most, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we should go into a little more detail about sort of some of the, the specifics of that. The other thing I would say um, is that the uh, just kind of the workflow organization stuff has just been cleaned up a little bit. Aperture was had some weirdness, I, I always felt, with kind of, just the conceptually, the differences between folders and, and albums and sort of how they laid some of that out. And they just seem to have made it feel a little bit more intuitive. Um, so, you know, there's that. There's big features we'll go into with the, the faces and places, the geolocation stuff and the, and the facial tagging as well. We'll talk about those in a second. Yeah. But, yeah, for me, it's the, it's the adjustment stuff, I would say. that. That's know, the biggest thing for you? Yeah, stepped up. Derek, is that, is that the same thing? Is that the, the biggest new feature for you or is something different? Well, it's a biggie. I, I like it a lot, and I'm really glad it's there. And I, and I like the way they've done it, even to the point of giving you like an intensity slider in the, you know, in your adjustment panel, so you can kind of even fade the control after you've done it. I think it's really well done. But uh, there's two other things I really like in addition to that. One is uh, the video handling of video oh, because right. I was running into a problem where I had I was getting. Anyone who's been reading uh, my blog over the last year or so, my workflow had been fragmenting for a couple of reasons. Part because Aperture wasn't supporting some of the cameras I used, the RAW. Yeah. And the other part was the video was fragmenting it, you know. And so now being able to bring that all back together in one environment and even do a little trimming and, and output on top of it, I think that's huge. And then on the workflow side, uh, kind of as Ron was mentioning, I love... Uh, the import dialog box. They did a fabulous job of, you know, just just felt like they redid it from scratch. Yeah, it feels really clean, yeah. and it's really nice. I I just love it. It gives me feel like I have so much more control uh, when I bring stuff in, and it's especially nice like on a camera that maybe isn't raw supported. Now I don't have to bring in both files. I can just bring in. I can shoot raw plus JPEG and just bring in the JPEGs like on my Olympus. EP1 or something. So uh, I, I love the import dialog box. 
Yeah. Okay. Got it. And Joseph, what's uh, what stuck out in your mind as like, wow, I, I don't know how I lived without this before this release. <laughs> well, actually, one of the <laughs> most important things to me is a really small feature, and that's the metadata uh, editor. The, you can now med- edit the metadata presets within the import dialog, create new presets. It's That's phenomenal. I mean, it's just one of those things that's been lacking desperately. And I'm kind of a metadata freak. I really keep clean metadata. And so having that in there makes that so much easier to do. Okay. That that and then the new library structure where you can switch between multiple libraries and import mm-hmm. and export pieces into standalone libraries. And it just it means that you now have a multiple computer uh, workflow within Aperture that is easy and actually works, whereas before it was a bit of a nightmare. So that's huge, huge, huge. It actually means that now I can uh, reasonably go out and buy a desktop computer and still work on my laptop on the road and not have to worry about all the workarounds. Gotcha. So from my from my perspective... <clears throat> You know, being a Lightroom user right now, so of course I'm looking at the two apps and I'm I'm wondering what the deltas or what are the differences between the two, um, and I'm, uh, I you know checked out the non-destructive editing on the Aperture Three side versus you know what I've become accustomed to on the Lightroom side and all those things. And the main the sort of the broad stroke main differences that I've seen in the apps, of course, there's nothing new. The books, of course, the places and faces and all that stuff. Um, and uh, what was the other thing? Big thing. I think that oh, it, within the non-destructive edits, uh, you can run. I think you can, or I'm pretty sure you can load pretty much any of the develop module controls or any combination of them into a brush in Lightroom and paint them on non-destructively. Can but, you? I, you may have to show me where that is because I, I, you know, used it a fair bit, and I, I was always under the impression that there was sort of this fixed set of. Uh, brushes in in Lightroom, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just hidden. No, all the all the all the develop module controls. I mean, there's a little toggle in there to reveal them all, but you can drag them to any position or any combination of positions, including exposure, saturation, contrast, all that stuff. You know, vibrance, and have and even save that setting as a preset, then paint that onto your image. Yeah, but like uh, uh, like curves, for instance, can you mm-hmm. can you set up a, a custom tone curve and paint that in? Um, I don't think you can uh but you can set up a custom exposure setting in there or a combination yeah, i'm sure you can the get slider. there yeah yeah i'm sure you could get there but you know i think that for the the point is i think is you can you can do similar things and load combinations of brushes uh or combination of brush settings into a brush non-destructively and paint them in lightroom the other thing is they have um the or in lightroom is the gradient adjustment tool so you can drag a gradient down over the image to say affect just a, a, a broad swath region of the say it's a sky and you right. want to darken it yeah and that is kind of nice because that's the in in aperture you have to i mean you just you know you make a very large soft edge brush and you kind of manually mm-hmm. brush in like that but I, I agree having a little gradient like that is nice but yeah. I, I still i and you know maybe i don't know i don't want to go too deep down this but it just feels like there is a fixed set of brushes that you can use in Lightroom, like, I'm you know just just di- dialing in an arbitrary curve, and, and by the way, the curves are now now that Aperture finally has curves, they're actually uh, a fair bit better than the ones that are in Lightroom. Uh, you know, multi-point kind of curves, you can do some really wacky stuff. You mean more accurate? Uh, more accurate, yeah, because the Lightroom curves are kind of you really only have like th- sort of like three hidden control points on there. Mm-hmm. You can't do a curve that sort of seesaws up and down across the oh, okay. center okay. line or something like that. Yeah. You can put in any kind of arbitrary curve, and the curves you can actually extend into the, uh, um, like zoom into the low, the shadows, or up into the super whites of the curve, you know, of the mm. image, and do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but that that's a good example of you know one of the adjustments that 
uh, is just, just you know, standard adjustment on aperture, and so you can brush it. Uh, you know, I mean, kind of anything. I think you can even brush in like red eye uh, as you know an arbitrary brush or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. blur. Um, yeah, that's what that was cool. I saw the blur thing. That the, that's brand the, new. <laughs> yeah, the healing brush is not spot anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's just a true healing brush, just like you get inside of Photoshop, which is huge. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, you know, I I think it's a mistake to say that this replaces Photoshop by any sense of the word, but it means that I go into Photoshop a lot less often. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, if I was going into Photoshop for, you know, probably only 5% of my photos beforehand, I suspect it's like, you know, a fraction of a percent now where I'm going to need to go into some external editor um, yeah. given this. So, Derek, Derek, you're, you, you've played with both, and I'm sure you've played with, that, with the Lightroom 3 beta. Um, some of the things that I've heard, like on Twitter from Katrine Eisman, even she was saying that the noise reduction, re- noise reduction in Lightroom three is markedly better than that in Aperture three. Now, what yeah. are, what are some of the things that you see, you know, based on this conversation Ron and, just, and I just had? You know, is is that true? I mean, or, or are we missing something? Well, you know, uh, the the Adobe team they have taken the noise reduction. Uh, as one of the things that you know they've said this is going to uh Lightroom 3 is going to be you know state of the art in terms of handling noise reduction within a photo management application so that's that's one of their priorities it's at the top of their list and you know it's coming along nicely they're they're doing a good job with it so i would say yes i would say that that the noise reduction in Lightroom uh, even uh, is going to be stronger than uh, what we see in Aperture, but you know that that's what's fun about talking about you know these two applications. For example, is that you know both sides will will sort of pick the things that they know are their strengths. I mean, the forever I thought the develop module in Lightroom was always sort of its strong suit anyway. Mm-hmm. Just going back to its its roots, its genesis. And um, Aperture, I thought its strength over version one and two was really its photo management, you know, this overall workflow and its integration with just Apple technologies. So uh, so for Apple to make inroads in, into the develop module, essentially, uh, with the brushes, with adding curves, with all that stuff, I think really pulls it a lot closer to Lightroom in terms of image editing within your photo management app. And for me personally, not having to round trip, you know, because round tripping is ugly yeah. uh, in Aperture. It's ugly in general, mm-hmm. but it's particularly ugly in Aperture because, uh, you know, here you're working in this nice workflow where you're not, you're only adding kilobits of data when you're doing your, your image editing. And then if you have to send it out to Photoshop, then you're bringing in, especially if you're bringing in a layered file, you're bringing in this, this ginormous thing that's, you know, five, six times bigger than your original file. Mm-hmm. So and that was also happening with the edit with plugins, uh, which a lot of people really barked about when when Apple gave us those in Aperture, uh, because it wasn't within the Aperture workflow, uh, where you know you're only adding metadata for your image edits. So the fact now that you have all of these new tools, and you're only using metadata, you know, uh, to to apply them, your file sizes are staying smaller. It's huge. It's huge. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely would give Lightroom the noise reduction thing. But I have to say that overall, uh, Aperture 3 has pulled a lot closer, maybe even inched ahead in some areas uh, in terms of overall image editing within the 
within the manager. Yeah. Now, now, Joseph, I know you haven't you haven't played around with Lightroom that much. Are are your experiences with the app echoing what what Derek and Ron say in terms of the 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 non destructive editing being sort of the paramount feature or one of the paramount features that you know that is going to keep you from having to go into Photoshop more often? Absolutely. Yeah. There's very little that I went to Photoshop before. Uh, to do and and I'm probably in the same same levels with Ron. You know, maybe five percent of the images at the most did I ever go in there for, and now it's just going to be that much less. So I'm I'm very excited about all those new image adjustment tools. Yeah, and one of the things that I, that I also heard another Twitter uh, user sent me a note saying that they would never switch from Lightroom to Aperture because. Um, Aperture doesn't support smart objects. Now I know how to use smart objects, and I can't say that there is maybe I can't say that I used it at all in 2009. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, just me as a user. I mean, I know it's there, and I'm happy to know that it's there and I can use it. But I can't. Could, I can't could say you that I. What they are. Uh, I'll let Derek explain what they are because he's the educator. Yeah, we should. This is where we need to have Deke on the show, right? Where, yeah. I'm referring to my adult supervision. Derek's story. Could yeah. you please explain? So you know the, the whole idea about smart objects being able to uh, sort of embed a raw uh, a raw profile, you know, within a smart object, send it off somewhere, and then you know uh, apply filters and so forth non-destructively. Yeah. Uh, you know, within this container, within the smart object container. Uh, uh, I have to say that uh, out in, in the world, I mean, when I'm hanging around Deke, it feels like oh, everyone uses smart objects, right? <laughs> Deke and Fallen. Yeah. But the minute I get away from the, the Deke field there, uh, you know, I have to say I don't personally know very many people that smart objects are a major part of their workflow. And, you know, just along those lines, when people ask me about this, you know, and, and, you know Lightroom fits for people that really like and this person I think is a great example for people that really like the Adobe workflow right the Adobe integration of applications mm-hmm. and, and I think Lightroom fits well into that scenario uh, you know bridge and Lightroom sharing uh, metadata for example very well things like that uh, Adobe camera raw being able to to you know read the edits that you do in Lightroom and vice versa it's fabulous yeah but if you're in the Apple Workflow where you where you're trying to have a, a, an image database for your entire Mac, uh, then I think Aperture is stronger because it integrates so well with all the Apple technologies, yep. and it and it can in its own way sort of you know round trip with the other stuff too, especially since Leopard and Snow Leopard. Um, so you know it, it kind of depends on you know where your heart is in terms of the other applications that you want to use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a quick pause right now to give a quick nod to our sponsor uh, for the show. It's audible.com. Um, they're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring, featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers and more. Um, and Audible, for the listeners of This Week in Photography, is offering a free audiobook of your choice. If you want to just give the service a try, just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip and uh, download your, your, the, whatever book you want in there. And there's a ton of books in there. And I, you know, for me, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm, uh, you know, I consume both printed books, of course, love the printed book. Um, I, 
I consume Kindle books because I have a Kindle. So I have a certain, there's a certain area when I feel like reading my Kindle and a certain area when I feel, or time when I feel like reading a printed book. Um, but audible books for me, especially when I'm driving up back and forth to Petaluma or something crazy like that, um, they just sort of fill in there. So like one of the ones that I've been re-listening to is the, uh, and people on the show have heard this before. So I'm, I'm actually on my fifth time listening to this audio book and it's called the four hour work week from timothy ferris i don't know mm-hmm. if, have, have you guys heard of that book yeah 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 so that it, it's 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 inspiring to think that it you could ever do that <laughs> somehow i read that book years ago and i somehow i'm not working the four-hour work week so. you're you are work you are no, doing said, the four-hour work I week i am but i'm not getting paid for it that's the problem <laughs> yeah, joseph have you ever have you ever uh, downloaded any audiobooks you know i i'm not a big audiobook user because i don't have a commute and so when I drive, when I am in the car, if I'm listening to something, it's generally podcasts. Exercise time, dude. Yeah. Yeah. There <laughs> oh, you go. Exercise. There you hey, go. Hey, yeah. hey. I mean, that's the thing only that, that manages to get me, get my ass on the bike to get out there is uh, knowing that I can dive back into something. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm listening to this book right now called The Department of Mad Scientists. It's uh, a look into the DARPA, the defense agency. Oh, yeah. And it's awesome. It's just, you know, sort of this history of how, um, you know, the world freaked out whenever Sputnik was put up and these mm-hmm. organizations that were formed. And, and nowadays DARPA is just doing all kinds of wacky stuff with, you know, robot arms and, and unmanned uh, cars that drive themselves around the city and all kinds of stuff like that. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, so continuing on in our discussion on Aperture 3, the newest release from Apple of this uh, this image management software. Wanted to get in. Uh, we were talking about before we went into the the uh, Audible thing. We we're talking about sort of the Apple universe and how if you are Derek, you're saying if you are in that universe, then it makes sense to use Aperture. Now, do you think the release or the announcement of the iPad, for example, is that going to put another nail in this? You know, this overall. Apple ecosystem, you know, so if you if you're using the iPad, or you're using an iPhone, then it just makes sense for you to use a software or is there a workaround or a way for people that are using other software to sort of enjoy that same sort of seamlessness? Well, I, I think there's always a workaround and, you know, it just depends on how much you want to work for your workaround kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, but what, I think what iPad, font size work is yeah. and work around. <laughs> but I, I think the iPad is going to really add, you know, interesting things to, to the thing because now you, as we talked about, we did a whole show on it, you know, and now you have this, this presentation device that that's beautiful and that you can hand to people and you know, it's going to integrate with, uh, with aperture, uh, not so much for image editing on your iPad, but for, you know, reading, uh, probably your aperture libraries and all that sort of stuff over, over Wi-Fi or possibly even, you know, over cellular, who knows? So, um, yeah, yeah. I think the iPad is going to make that integration even, even stronger. Okay. All right, Ron, what about performance? So again, thank, thanks to Twitter. Lots of people have been responding saying it's sluggish, you know, speaking of Aperture 3, it's sluggish on my machine and, you know, it's never going to win because Aperture or Lightroom is so snappy, yada, yada, yada. Um, it seems fine on my, I have a, a late model iMac and a MacBook Pro and it seems plenty fast on both of these machines. What what are they? Are they on just machines that can't handle it, or what do you think? Pro, probably partially, and probably there are still places that are sluggish. And, and um, I, a lot of my familiarity was during the beta. Uh, obviously, 
And there were certainly times during the beta where it was painfully slow. Um, yeah. But generally, you know, one of the things they addressed in this release was speeding it up in a lot of places. Um, but it, it, it's, there's no doubt that Aperture is probably a, a more a demanding program in terms of hardware requirements than Lightroom is. I think Adobe does a really good job of providing software that kind of... I mean, you, you can understand sort of their, their different um, desires behind the scenes, right? Apple would love to have you feel the need to upgrade your hardware. Yeah. Whereas Adobe wants to get their software on as many platforms as possible. Sure. So, yeah. you know, I, I have no trouble believing that on a slightly older machine or a slightly uh, underpowered machine that uh, Adobe is going to be the thing that you're going to feel happier with. Uh, I mean, there's published requirements for Aperture, and I don't remember exactly what they are, but it does need a decent machine in terms of CPU and I think even graphics card. So yeah. that's certainly something that people need to look into is, you know, they got an older machine. They may want to. Uh, they definitely. I mean, generally, everybody should be trying these things out before they buy them. You know, I don't. Joseph, if you could chime in on this, I don't know that I agree with <clears throat> with the the idea that Apple engineers are are. You know, I I know that they're writing for the latest and greatest hardware, of course, but I don't I don't think that they are being nefarious in writing software no, I, I, that I, make I people either. move yeah. up. You know, I, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let Joseph answer this too. But you know, I, I mean, I worked on Aperture. Uh, before it was released, Aperture, you know, zero point something. Uh, and and absolutely, it's not a matter of anybody was instructed to, you know, make sure it required high-end hardware. Yeah. It's purely a matter of most of the engineers have newer hardware. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Working yeah. well. <laughs> okay, and, yeah. and you kind of tend to forget that, oh, I need to go back and test this on something older. So Apple needs to <laughs> outfit all of their engineers with, like, two-year-old Macs. I, I kept telling them <laughs> exactly that. I was like, yeah. you know, put some old Macs on these guys' desks so they understand what the issue is. Yeah, yeah. I think a big part of it is they're just they're trying to make uh, take advantage of the latest and greatest in graphics advancements and, and so on, the graphics cards and processors. And so, yeah, you're right. They do tend to engineer for the higher end. Um, like Ron said, it's not nefarious. They're not trying to force you to upgrade, but they do want to take advantage of those things so that they can show off just how great the the high end hardware is. Yeah. And I do think there's a bit of that in there. Now, Derek, Derek, story the uh, the one of the cool things about Aperture is the plugin architecture that they built into Lightroom or uh, into Aperture Two, um, and I believe it was it was showed up in Aperture Two. But the 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 current issue that I see is that. The, in order for plugins to work in Aperture three, they need to be sixty four bit. Is that is that your understanding as well? So does that mean all the universal plugins that were already written and out there are kind of moot and need to be updated? Well, if you want to run Aperture in sixty four bit mode, mm-hmm. which is it is more fun that way, you access more RAM, all that good stuff. Yep. Uh, if you go to one of your plugins, you'll see uh, on the plugin menu that uh, they'll be grayed out and they'll say thirty two bit. And so, you know, you can, uh, you know, quit Aperture, go to the Get Info box, check uh, Open in 32-bit mode, relaunch Aperture, and then uh, those those plugins uh, will be available to you. So there is kind of a workaround right now, but you're you're absolutely right where we want to go. And uh, I, I'm not sure how this is going to shake out, and maybe, uh, you know, Ron or Joseph have some insights on this. I'm not sure how hard it is going to be for a lot of these these plugin developers to uh, actually upgrade their their uh, plugins uh, to work with uh, Aperture in 64-bit mode. I don't know if that's a big challenge or not. I don't. 
Yeah, I don't. It's not a huge issue. It's mostly it's monkey work when you're doing upgrading from 32-bit to 64-bit. It's just going back in and changing the types of pointers that you have and everything like that. So I don't expect it to be uh, a major issue. And I, you know, would you know be willing to bet that most of these plugins are going to show up with 64-bit versions relatively soon. Yeah. But I think this is a perfect example of the difference between uh, Apple and Adobe, and why I like Adobe's model of being open during beta. Is the reason why none of these plugins were available at release is because Apple wasn't, you know, putting this uh, out in front of the developers, uh, the plugin developers, ahead of time, and so you naturally have that kind of a lag. Whereas, you know, what Adobe does is they're much more open with, we're in beta now, we're going to be in beta for a while, and in the meantime, all of their third-party developers have access to this in the same way their customers do. Yeah. So you know, it's it's. I mean, I you know, it's the Apple way. I, I'm not a big fan of it. I got burned by it with my customers on the software I worked at there. But, you know, it's just it's what they do. Now, do you think, I mean, just because they do it, do you think that's the, the, the correct way? I know there is no correct way because it's whatever the, the shareholder-pleasing company wants to do, of course. But, you know, you know in, just in terms of in the photography universe and the fact, you know, even when, when you know, one of the things on my list to talk about was camera support and the frequency of the raw updates and how Adobe is always, like, right on it and Apple is lagging behind many months in some cases cases um you know does it make sense for and if if we could somehow control and influence apple would it make sense for them to take aperture and maybe start doing betas for 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 aperture 4 so that the plugin if they're building this plugin ecosystem those folks could get up to speed faster and people could start understanding that oh yeah i want to be using this app or is it the bang for the buck as we as all three of us know having worked there you know the the secrecy bang for the buck more important uh, I, I well, I have my opinions on. I'm curious to hear what Joseph says too. But you know, I I, I went through this a lot because we had a high end uh, visual effects application that you know I went to work for Apple because that was acquired by Apple. Yeah, we were very tight with our customer base, uh, and when we became part of Apple, that was no longer the case. We could not talk about what was coming in the futures, and you know, I understand why Apple does this from a marketing publicity perspective for their new hardware, right? You know, if you're able to come out and have all that incredible rumor mill that was churning before the iPad and everything before that, um, the amount of press they get uh, versus, you know, free press they get versus what they would have to pay for is, is, is enormous, right? And so I totally get that for hardware, why they do that. I just don't think for software, and especially for professional-grade software, it makes anywhere near the same amount of sense. I think it's just been a it's a corporate culture that extends to everything. Whereas what they need to do is sort of understand that there's a time and a place for it. But I, I don't. Know, what do you think, Joseph? You were sort of you were on the marketing side of things. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you, but I, I don't split it out as hardware software. I lean towards more the pro versus consumer. Um, I think that the the secrecy behind the consumer products, the uh, especially things like you know iPhone, iPad, iPods, and that, and then all the consumer software is critical it's it's what like you said gives them all that free marketing on the pro side though i I completely agree as well that it it doesn't need to be that way it really should be more open um you know i've i've seen you know major studios making trying to make big decisions on something like final cut you know are we going to buy final cut and and 100 new mac pros or are we going to wait or are we just going to switch over to something else because we have no idea what's coming from apple yeah. And when you're talking about you know a million dollar or ten million dollar budget that has to be spent by the end of April or at least has to be allocated, and you don't know what's coming, it can be hard to make those decisions. And I do think it's to the country, uh, the company's detriment to do that. Yeah, but but it, I agree. 
but a two-year development cycle for Aperture, (laughs) I mean, somewhere in there, they could have sent up a flag or a flare saying, hey, we're not going to kill this piece of software. So, you know, something like that. There was so much talk from people that, you know, it was as early as the middle of last year saying, gosh, if there's not a new version of Aperture pretty soon, I'm going to switch to Lightroom. I'm sure there are a lot of people that, that, you know, did that. I mean, a lot of people do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and, and until I sort of was made aware that there really was something new coming. I mean, there's features in here that I remember working on. So, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming. And I know that oh. they didn't intend for this to be a two-year development cycle. There was a lot of stuff that they realized they had to go back and, and rework. Um, yeah, quite honestly, there was uh, a lot of people at Apple are kind of learning this photo space. And, and uh, whereas Adobe clearly has uh, had a lot more in-house expertise, I think finally, you know, Apple has gotten people on board that really have it. But I was beating my head up against the wall several times trying to make people understand well, I, I, I'll tell a story that the people at Apple are going to hate for me to tell. <laughs> Good. Go for it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was brought on board uh, to play with Aperture prior to its zero, you know, 1.0 release. Um, fairly, fairly shortly prior to it, you know, within a few months of it. Uh, like, here we got this new photo app, and you've got a lot of experience doing image processing stuff. And the first thing I did was sit down, bring in a raw file, uh, and pull down the exposure to see what kind of headroom was in there. And there was nothing. It, it looked identical to my JPEG. They were not recovering the headroom from the top end of the RAW file. Mm-hmm. I was like, guys, do you understand that this is the primary reason why people shoot RAW? And there was literally like stunned silence in the room. And then in a scramble to go back and, and understand that their RAW decoders needed to be able to pull in, uh, pull in you know, super white data. Right. And, you know, I mean, it was it was purely a matter of somebody had decided to get into the, this photo editing thing, but they didn't, you know, even within Apple, there was so much secrecy at the time that they were going to do it because there was a lot of fear about how Adobe was going to react and everything. That, uh, you know, there, there was some very critical stuff that they sort of di- hadn't taken into consideration. And I think it's been a long time coming that they get their team up to where it really understands image processing the way it does now. Yeah, Derek. Derek, would from a author, educator, journalist perspective, how how does the secrecy, especially this long two year Aperture three development cycle secrecy thing, how does that affect you? Well, it's you know it's huge, and I, I told you I, I have my anecdote too, where I was not in on this beta. I had known about Aperture two before it came out. And uh, at Macworld, I had a two-day Power Tools workshop on Aperture 2, 16 hours of Aperture 2 training that began uh, on Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, I was having lunch with some other software developers on Monday, and I just said, you know, I just, I just got this feeling that Aperture 3 is going to drop about two hours before my class tomorrow <laughs> and doggone it uh i get i get up early on on tuesday morning you know because uh you know because i just had this feeling and sure enough uh, aperture three had dropped and uh i was excited obviously <clears throat> and i wanted uh to get the download right away and uh it was you know the servers are kind of crammed and all that but we decided just to go for it in class and um but you know, in all honesty, I think uh, as a teacher, uh, having had a little bit of time or even knowing that it was going to happen, uh, you know, would have been great and would have been better. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, it's you sort of live and die by the Apple way of doing business, uh, you know, when you teach and write about Apple software. Yeah, I agree. 
So uh, before we move on, I want to give a, another quick nod to our other sponsor of this show. Um, we're also brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're a fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For example, This Week in Photography's blog, uh, Twiplog.com, is built on Squarespace. Um, they're optimized for both beginners, CSS experts. They've got forums, photo galleries. You can build membership, membership sites, as evidenced by Joseph's apertureexpert.com that's running on Squarespace um, and lots of other stuff. If you're if you're interested in a free trial on Squarespace, just head over to squarespace.com forward slash twip. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out. Build your website. If you want to buy it, they'll give you 10% off when you enter the offer code TWIP. Joseph, how has, uh, how has Squarespace been going for your apertureexpert.com site? Well, I, I love Squarespace. I mean, it's funny. That's my third website that's being hosted on uh, on Squarespace. And other than just the ease of use of, of working around in there, one of the things I love about that company is the support. You know, I can send an email support request asking just about anything and they'll get back, they'll get back to me usually within an hour. And it's, uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, they're a great company. Excellent. And you, you, last time we spoke, you, you were telling me about Aperture Expert and how you have, you're able to build that membership site where you have a members only area that's hidden right. from everybody else. And that, and that's working for you. Yeah, initially when I started the site, it was the whole thing was members only. Uh, mm-hmm. The only thing you could get to without creating a membership was the store, and I did that for a couple of reasons. Um, but basically, after a couple of weeks of kind of testing the site and realizing you know this really is a good thing, it's really going to work, I went ahead and switched it so that you can now access the whole site without membership, but to post comments on the on the uh, blog entries or to post into the forums, and you do have to uh, you do have to sign up as a member. So I, that's how it's structured now. And, you know, in the future at any point, I could add any page that is membership only required. It, it's a really flexible system. I love it. Excellent. Cool. Again, if you want your free trial, head over to squarespace.com forward slash twip and uh, get 10% off when you enter the offer code TWIP. All right. Continuing on in our discussion uh, about this new software, Aperture 3, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, two features that are like I'd say two and a half features that are in Aperture but not in Lightroom, and those those features are two and a half are books, of course, um, the faces slash places um, feature and slideshows, and that's the point five because Lightroom has slideshows, but Apple has some crazy slideshows in it. <laughs> so uh, first off, on books, Joseph, you're you you've had some experience with this, and you know lots of people that are using the books feature or we're using it in Aperture Two. How do you, in your opinion, how has the books feature evolved? Is it's the first part of my question. Sure. Well, the thing right now is the plugins, right? The plugins to the big printer, uh, the, the big book printers. So like um, Graph Studio or uh, Leather Craftsman. If you want to do high end books, and a large part of that is targeted at the wedding market because those are wedding photographers' dreams. Those those amazing books that you know cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars or more. Uh, the plugins for that are fantastic. So now you have the ability to create your book directly within Aperture and upload it straight to their servers. It's a it's a huge, huge job, big time saver for anybody doing this. Yeah, yeah. And CouturBook.com um, yep. is one of the plugin providers in there. They make those crazy, um, like boutique style books, which are yeah, amazing. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, Derek, you're, you've played with the books and you've been training people on book creation yeah. in Aperture. Um, is it better? Is it faster? Is it quicker? Or is it the same as Aperture 2? Uh, well, I, I haven't seen uh, that many differences. Uh, and I haven't played with the books in Aperture 3 as much as um, 
some of the other features. But I have to tell you that uh, books in Aperture are, are fabulous because what a lot of people don't realize is that really what you have is a layout tool, a, a pretty sophisticated layout tool, uh, right there in your photo management application. And a lot of stuff that I do, I never uh, is, isn't really making books. Uh, one of my favorite projects is I, I make uh, fine art note cards uh, and print them out myself. I do all the design in the book layout tool. I just create a custom template. Uh, you can save them. You pull images in from your Aperture library. You have that whole ability to work fluidly, you know, just by adjusting the image while, while it's in the note card or whatever, and then uh, print them out on my Epson printers. And uh, this tool that's in there, this, this bookmaking tool, you put quotes around it because it's really a layout tool. You can, you can save out the PDF and if you want, send it to Blurb and, you know, as long as it meets Blurb specs, all that stuff. This is really a powerful tool. It's really worth spending some time in there. Yeah, and all for the, the, whatever the, the overall price of Aperture is. <clears throat> so what about 199 <laughs> yeah, it's 99 for the upgrade, right? 99 for the upgrade. Um, okay, Ron Brinkman, faces and places. Describe yeah. describe what these features are first, and then let's let's talk about if they if they even make sense for an, an amateur pro. Sure, uh, and they really are two separate things or two different sort of models you go into. So I'll do them one at a time. And faces is if anybody's used iPhoto, they're already familiar with the basic technology, but it's uh, a tool for attempting to recognize the faces in all of your photos, and you can choose to have Aperture just start on a specific uh, one of your albums or projects or do it for your entire library, and it just goes through and it starts identifying faces. And the first thing it'll do, of course, it doesn't know who these faces are, so it'll just start presenting them to you as, you know, here's 50 different faces that we think is, is the same guy. Uh, do you want to give them a name? And you can type in a name for that. And it's a learning process, so it'll start off and it'll sort of give you, here's a face, you know, who is this? And, you know, you type in, this is Frederick, and, you know, here's another face, and you type in, and then, you know, this is Derek. And, and you kind of, as it goes along, then it sort of starts to get it, is this? You know, instead of asking you, who is this? It says, is this Frederick? And you say yes, and eventually, you know, you're to the point where it gets much faster, and you can kind of just start tagging as, you know, these are all the same thing. And it's just, it's an excellent organizational tool if you want to sort of be able to call up via tags, you know, in the same way you, you call up any other tagging you've done, just show me all the pictures of Joseph and they will pop up. So it's pretty neat. You know, it's not ultra magic in that it's not 100%. I went uh, uh, that hiking that I did in, in Utah a while back in, in Bryce Canyon in Zion. Uh, I was hiking with um, a few friends, but one of them was a couple of brothers. Uh, and they're about, you know, five years apart in age. And it would often mix the two of them up because they look pretty similar. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, it's not totally magic. But on the other hand, it's pretty easy. They've done a really good job of building the human interaction part around it. So it's easy to say, no, no, that's, you know, that's not uh, Jamie, that's Jeff kind of thing. So are they using, are they using like the, the TSA anti-terrorist recognition <laughs> software in there <laughs> or something more pedestrian? Uh, you know, it's a good question because I think most of this face technology, uh, face recognition technology stuff are proprietary algorithms. So I think Apple has their own. They probably acquired it from somewhere. Uh, and there are a lot of different ones. And, you know, you can certainly imagine that there will be plenty of arguments coming about who's got the better face recognition technologies sure. as well. But yeah. for, for me, that's why uh, the work that they did to make the human interaction part of it fairly streamlined uh, is really key, you know the, that human override of saying no, that's not him. That's 
you know, that person instead. Yeah. Now, Joseph, uh, I know you've played around with places a little bit. What, what do you, can you describe what that feature is and why it makes sense for a pro? Yeah, absolutely. So places is reverse geotagging. It allows you to, if you have GPS data for your pictures, so uh, for example, photos off an iPhone or if you have a GPS adapter for your camera, it will reverse geotag, meaning it will look up the coordinates and then assign a, a place uh, in the real world to that photo. So that could be as specific as uh, saying something like the Eiffel Tower in Paris, in France, in Europe, uh, or it could be more general, just you know, in Paris or whatever. If it doesn't have an actual location, uh, an actual specific thing like the Eiffel Tower to grab onto. But you can also manually do it. So if you don't have any geodata, uh, you know, on your camera or with you, then you can just drag a collection of pictures onto, you know, London. These pictures, this is my vacation in London. Is drag it on there. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool is then when you're looking at the map later, you step back and look at the map. You can see at a glance where all your photos were taken uh, from your entire library if you've uh, you know tagged the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, and it, it can be a very handy thing to say. You know, I'm going to this part of Africa again, and I want to go see all the pictures that I took on my last three trips there. And you can just immediately pull them up from no matter where they are in your in your library. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So any kind of location scouting or just getting ready to go on a trip that you you know somewhere you've been before it can be. Very, very cool way to look at stuff. Yeah, I think that, that, that feature will really come into its own when when GPS technology becomes just sort of mainstream in all the digital SLRs. Uh, well, absolutely. Right now, you can use your iPhone, right, if you have an iPhone, because that has a GPS in it, and you can sort of match where you took an iPhone photo to your other photos. Is that- exactly, and it works really well. It's very, very cool. So I, I tried it out uh, when Aperture 3 was announced last Tuesday. I was actually up in San Luis Obispo, and so I, was, I drove back home that evening. So I stopped along the way to take a bunch of pictures, and I took photos with both my, uh, you know, my Canon and with my uh, little iPhone. And it was so clever when I, I imported the pictures, and I had my iPhone plugged in, and I did not import the pictures from the iPhone. But I had my Canon photos on there, and I pulled up the places, and there's a little selection in there that says uh, get data from iPhone. And it looked on my iPhone. It automatically matched the photos from the same time range, and it said, we are going to use these photos to get your location data. And that really surprised me. I thought I was going to have to pick it manually. And I said, "Uh, okay, clicked okay, and boom, there were all of my pictures uh, matched up. It was just, just very, very cool. That's great. That's great. And Derek's story, uh, slideshows. And, and I, I, I'm throwing this one to you because I wanted to have you sort of talk about the, the differences between Lightroom slideshows and Aperture 3 slideshows. And, you know, I know this is, and I preface this with we're looking at, we're talking about Lightroom 3 beta, which is, yes. you know, we haven't seen, I'm sure we haven't seen half of the features that are going to be in that thing when it, when it launches. And Aperture, of course, is shipping now. So, you know, we're we're not we're not doing apples to apples here. So, what do you think? Well, especially half of the features now that they've seen Aperture three. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I saw some lights on at two a.m. in downtown <laughs> at Adobe the other day. <laughs> well, I mean, the the two biggies are, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, bringing video in, and uh, you can also bring in audio too. So, uh, Aperture three allows you to manage your stills, uh, audio separate audio files and uh, video files. And I did a test just walking back from uh, back to my hotel uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, I had the uh, T1i with me, and I just shot some 720p video with it. And then I, you know, went back to the room, and I had it, you know, I was boning up for the next day of class anyway. So 
uh, uh, imported the video into Aperture. It was very easy. It's just you have complete control over what you import in the import dialog box. You can either exclude the uh, the video or or only bring in video or bring in with everything else. It's it's really nice. Yeah. And um, then what you do is essentially your video editor, so to speak, uh, is really the uh, create a slideshow. Uh, the slideshow is sort of that that environment. And I think the original thinking was uh, with video, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this evolves, by the way. I think the original thinking was that we're going to let people manage their video. That's great. And we we also, the vision, I think, was that integrating video with still photos, things like, and using the Ken Burns effect and so forth, yeah. to really create these killer slideshows. But the thing about it, for a lot of us, uh, you know, video is part of our, you know, part of our journalism. And so shooting video, uh, trimming video, stitching it together, and then uploading it to YouTube or wherever quickly is, is a big part of my workflow. And Aperture handles this really nicely. And the, the, the third part, the other major distinction between a Lightroom is, is how you can export uh, these slideshows or, or video presentations out of Aperture. You have a variety of presets that are there already You know, for for iPhone, uh, you know, at 720p HD, uh, you know, whatever. They have like five of them. And then you have a little custom preset where you uh, you don't have the full access to the, the QuickTime, you know, all the, the options you have in QuickTime, but you do have some options. And uh, you can export uh, these presentations out in these various formats. This is very powerful. So you could create very- a could you create create a preset for say you know you you don't use YouTube but you use Vimeo, um, and you have a very specific resolution frame rate that you want to spit these out to Vimeo format for uploading to them. Could you do that and set that as a preset? I don't not yet, not yet, uh, not as a not as one stop. What you would have to do is you probably what I probably would do would be probably ex in that uh, scenario uh, if uh, one of the existing presets didn't fit my need, then I would export out kind of at a master level and then uh, maybe use another tool uh, to to do it. So uh, it's not quite as flexible yet um, as some of the other areas of Aperture, mainly I think because it's it's really brand new. Yeah. But you but you certainly you you do have a lot of control and you know and all the sort of the basic stuff that you'd want to do like go to IDVD or or, or send up to YouTube or you know, um, that's all there right now iPhone all that stuff. So one is is the ability to edit the clips. I know you can trim the clips with like that iPhone, you know, cut the beginning or the yes. end off. But what about if I wanted to boost the saturation or not yet. none of that? So it's just the raw clip, you know, and you can trim off the beginning or the end, correct? Yeah, and you can add metadata, you can trim, you can stitch, uh, you can add, you have some control over titling. Uh, you can do some title, titling, that's nice. You have some control over uh, transitions. So some real basic stuff, but I mean, I think what you know, what the feedback is from me, and probably from a lot of people that that shoot the way I shoot, is we would really love at some point a very basic uh, video editor in there. We'd love this to evolve into even if we had just a, a, a basic inspector mm-hmm. that allowed us to you know adjust uh, contrast and color and things like that a little bit. I wonder if that's an opportunity for a third-party plugin developer to build something like that and, and graft it onto Aperture 3. That's a good question. Potentially. Yes. I, I, I suspect it would still require that 
the same sort of weird round round tripping thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you got to believe that uh, you know the Aperture team knows that people are going to want to be applying some of these adjustments to their clips in the same way they do their images. It's all you know set up the same way. It just comes up. Everything's grayed out right now. So it's really you know an interesting question to think about where this is going to evolve to. I think Apple is certainly seeing that it's uh, this this sort of image management tool that includes stills and videos is where it's got to go. And, uh, you know, I, I, both companies sort of have this question of do we want to eat into our other application space? But, uh, you know, ultimately I think that people are going to just have to do whatever the best app is. Yeah. I think so just sort of some broad questions about this for for all three of you guys. Um, the what it looks like inside of Aperture to me, you know, as a user, you know, as a as a new user and sort of coming in and, and poking around and, and and having my brain draw the parallels to the other things that I would need to do that now I could do inside of Aperture. It looks like it's it's bringing in. It's doing that 80-20 thing. It's giving you, in a lot of cases, well, it's in a lot of cases more than 20%, but it's giving you um, just enough of what you need to do as a photographer to get your stuff done, whether it be publishing, sharing, uh, doing the slideshows, editing, video, that kind of thing. Uh, on the Adobe side, at least in the current state of things with Lightroom 2 proper and Lightroom 3 beta, um, you can do a lot of stuff, but you you to do like full on publishing you're going to have to go out to say InDesign you know or Premiere or that kind of stuff to do your your high end editing is that fair is that do you think that's where where uh, where Apple is trying to push things where you they're going to give you just like the iPhone metaphor the iPod metaphor where you don't need all these crazy features we're just going to give you the ones that we think you're going to use and I, then, I think yeah I think that's very fair I think that you know they can target the I would call it the high-end prosumer, right? Or somebody who is a professional but not necessarily the uh, cream of the crop professional that needs the very, very best layout tool that's you know going off to be shown in Esquire magazine or something, right? Yeah. Um, but something that gives you a very, very good tool you know, as long as you're not demanding the absolute complete control over everything and they're balancing that line between a really good tool and ease of use. So I, I think that's certainly the space that Apple has always shot for as opposed to the ultra-high-end. You know, and they, they do the same thing with Final Cut, for instance, where you know, Avid still dominates the, the high, high-end of, of film editing stuff, but there's a much bigger sweet spot for the Final Cut kind of thing. Yeah. Derek, sorry, yeah. where do you fall on that? Is it, well, is, I, I think they're actually shooting a little bit higher. I, I think... Uh, Often a lot of the constraints that we see, for instance, in Aperture, uh, are mainly just the amount of uh, horsepower that they have to to develop it and and you know have it run nicely out the door. I, I have a feeling that if they could, if they had the horsepower, and if it didn't delay this release anymore, that they would there would be more for for example video control in there. And I and I don't I, I don't see them. You know, trying to hold back there. I just think you know they can only do so much, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's that's sort of the sense that I have of it. Yeah, Joseph, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I don't know about that though because you've you've already got two major video editing apps out of Apple, right? You've got Final Cut and you've got iMovie. And do you really want to start putting video editing features into Aperture, or is the right solution and probably what they're heading towards simply building in better integration 
to make it absolutely seamless to move between Aperture and Final Cut or Aperture and iMovie. That seems to me, and, and I think it would more likely be iMovie because that's where most people are going to do the uh, the work that are working out of Aperture. But uh, that that would require learning another app. I mean, I'd rather if I'm only doing that twenty percent of stuff. You know, I, I'm different, right? Because I'm going to want to go into different apps, Final Cut, all this stuff, and and craft things however I want because I want that level of you know by the numbers tweaking. But for you know, a lot of people wouldn't just having all that, being able to do everything in one application, you launch it, you do your stuff, you get your file out, you share it, and you go back to shooting. It seems like that would be the better way. I mean, maybe we're talking about two different audiences. I don't know. Maybe. I think you run into the, the risk of feature bloat if you do that. You end up with just an app that has so much. You, you end right. up with a Microsoft Word version 10. I was, I was thinking Photoshop, you know, with, <laughs> with all this stuff in there that you probably would never touch, but it's still in there in case you might touch it. Right. Like there's 3D in Photoshop now, right? Right. There is. Like, what? <laughs> I just, I don't get it. Yeah. yeah it's just, it, I mean, I could see doing something really simple, you know, iPhone simple level editing. Like it has now for trimming, maybe an, you know, image enhancement button to do a little bit of image enhancement on your video. But if you want to start editing clips together, you want to start adding titles and stuff like that, you know, it, there's an app for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about before, before we uh, sort of get into the closing piece of this here um just the overall market for lightroom and aperture not to make this is this is not a versus episode this is more of a this is let's just look at it from a pragmatic standpoint and lightroom clearly is dominant you know i don't know what the exact numbers but you know our friends over at digitalphotographyschool.com have a poll up on the front of their page where they're they're uh, sampling their users and i think out of 1700 responses as of last night um, 34% of their users were using Lightroom and 12%, I believe it was, were using, um, Aperture and the rest were other, you know, with mm-hmm. iPhoto and Picasa and all those guys in there. Um, that's the state of the union today. So what do you, where, you know, knowing what you guys know about both applications, do you think that sort of disparity is going to continue or are we going to see Aperture finally come into its own and maybe make it a horse race? Derek? Well, I, I no, I don't think uh, Aperture is, is ever going to have the market share that Lightroom does for a couple of reasons. One is uh, Lightroom runs on both platforms, mm-hmm. and you know yep. when you're in education, that's huge. Not having to dictate what what computer people have in class, you know. Yep. So I, I think that's a huge part of it. I think the fact that Adobe does a better job with their raw uh, profiles, you know, turning them around quicker, supporting more cameras, I think is also a big advantage. But uh, having said that, I don't think uh, Aperture needs to have the same market share uh, as Lightroom in order to be successful in its own in its own right. And I, I think its numbers will improve, but I think Lightroom is going to continue to dominate. Okay, cool. Ron, what do you think about that? I I agree with Derek. I guess you know, the question is, does it really matter? I mean, you know, we are, I think we're all Mac users here. Clearly, we're on a platform that's only. You know, depending on how you measure it, ten percent of the market, maybe sometimes less. Yeah, uh, that certainly doesn't bother me. I think the only concern, and the same thing for, you know, you shoot Nikon. I think Canon's got a bigger market share. Does that bother you? I think the only, the only concern would be if the market share was so small that we didn't think it was going to be something that would be continued, right? Correct. Because it had dropped to so small. But I think once you get to a critical mass level of, you know, there are plenty of users out there. Um, I don't think the market share question is really impactful to you know a decision I would make about which which thing I would use. Okay, great, Joseph. What do you think about that? 
I agree. It's it's right. There's the market share will always be bigger because, uh, for for Adobe just because it does run on both platforms, and, and that's really what it comes down to there. As far as people switching back and forth and which ones people prefer, they're always going to leapfrog, right? They're always going to leapfrog, and the next version of Lightroom will have some surprises, undoubtedly. You know, is it going to get faces and places? Uh, you know, that that's a pretty big thing to jump towards. So if that's a feature that, if those are features that you find critical, I don't see Adobe um, coming up with that. But you know, maybe they'll surprise me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the killer thing for Adobe would be to add books into the application because mm-hmm. at least at least on the wedding photographer side because that's what they all, you know, just to to make it easier and more seamless to create books right out of your photo management application would be nice. Um, okay, let's jump into some some listener questions real quick before we close this out. The question, the first question, is from a UK listener. His name is Lloyd Yeston. He says, now that Aperture 3 has the places feature, I would like to start shooting my images with a GPS adapter to make full use of this feature. I've tried searching the web for an adapter, but haven't really found anything. Is there an ap- adapter that you could recommend? Joseph, you've done this, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of different solutions here. Um, if you're a Nikon shooter, you're actually in a better better world here because there are third-party GPS adapters that you can plug, uh, attach to the hot your Nikon, plug right into it, and it captures the GPS data as you go. It's fantastic, and it's it's one of those things that as a Canon shooter, uh, every time I talk to somebody at Canon, I tell them that this is a severely lacking feature, and they go, why would anybody care about GPS? It's, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I've had that conversation many times. Um, but anyway, so if you're not a Nikon shooter, then what you can do is, well, I already talked about the iPhone, so you can shoot with your iPhone, but to keep that accurate, you really do need to to snap a photo with your iPhone at the same location. So if you're you know, if you're driving down the coast and you're going to stop the car 10 times, that's easy. If you're on a photo walk and you're you know, going to take 100 pictures over the course of a mile, that's a little bit harder to do. But the best solution there is a, either a third-party GPS uh, uh, receiver, just a little, you, know, you can get it for under 100 bucks now. You attach it to your backpack, you turn it on, and it just records your position every like five seconds or something. And then Apture has a fantastic interface to take that GPS log off of the device and then marry it to the photos. You basically just take one photo from the collection, say this photo was taken here, and it automatically positions everything else for you. Uh, If you don't want to spend the money on that, what you can also do is get a a piece of software for the iPhone that actually records GPS waypoints, just the same as a dedicated piece of hardware. The only thing is, of course, it's on the iPhone, so it has to be the frontmost app running, and it will kind of chew through your battery. But... uh, if you know if that's not a big concern and you don't want to spend the hundred bucks on a dedicated thing, then it's a great way to do it. And then it works the same way. You just pull the log off, uh, probably email it to yourself from the app, and and marry it up and inside of uh, places. Yeah. Derek Aron, yeah. do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Well, I'll just say the the one that I had experience with was a device called the Amod A M O D. Uh, I think I had the thirty eighty, but anyway, it's, it's a GPS data logger like uh, Joseph was talking about, where you just clip it to the outside of your backpack. Mine was left somewhere in the south of France, so I don't have it any longer. Uh, so somebody is taking advantage of it right now. But they're, they're getting pretty cheap. That one is now like 65 bucks on Amazon. I just checked. So um, it's, a, it's a decent solution. And it sounds, I haven't played with it, but it sounds like from what Joseph's saying that it's uh, very well integrated into Aperture for doing yeah. that kind of thing. So, very cool. Uh, I, the one thing I would say is that if you're doing research on that, you know, the GPS technology continues to change quite a bit. Uh, there, you got to kind of read into these reviews on these devices because people will really geek out about which chipset they use for the GPS, and you probably want to try to get something that's as modern as possible so the track is accurate. Yeah, Derek, do you have anything to add to that? The only thing I want to add is uh, you know it, 
a lot of this depends on what level of accuracy you need. And, you know, as Ron was saying, you know, people really geek out on this. So if you're kind of more in a places frame of mind, you know, what you really want, basic area of a city or, you know, basic location. And, you know, you're okay as long as it's within 30 yards or, or whatever. I think most of the commercial solutions work great. The iPhone, actually, I love what, what Joseph was talking about, you know, the iPhone stream coming into Aperture is fabulous. So, you know, these all work great. If you need something more precise, I think more what Ron was saying, make sure you, you do your homework so that you get something that has the level of precision that, so that your expectations are met. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Question number, <clears throat> excuse me, question number two from Zoe McHenry. Um, and Zoe says, yeah, that Aperture 3 has been released, but writes, the laptop I'm currently using does not meet the system specs for Aperture 3. Would I be able to run Aperture 2 on my laptop for when I'm away from home, do my keyword tagging project sorting, then be able to export, import those projects into 3 on my desktop for image editing? Also, does anyone know if 3 runs faster than 2? That's a <laughs> And I'm still running into the spinning beach ball of death when I lift and stamp large groups of photos within 2. There's like three questions in there. Derek, I'll throw this one at you. The first piece of that is importing and exporting Aperture yeah. 2 projects into 3. You could do it. You can do it. I had to do it, you know, uh, to get Aperture 3 up and running. I do not recommend that as a workflow. They're going to just make you crazy. I mean, here, I mean, I hate to sound like, you know, throwing hardware at, you know, at this problem, but I, I think it's, it sounds like uh, it's time to buy a new laptop, in all honesty. If you really want to have a good experience, and if your laptop or whatever computer you're using just will not run Aperture 3, I, th I think if you want to run Aperture, I think you have to buy new hardware. Gotcha. And then the second part, uh, and I think we already answered that, does does it run faster, Aperture 3? Does it run faster than Aperture 2? Uh, well, yes. you know, the thing that it does do really cool is, uh, and Ron and Joseph, did you guys have this thing too? When you launch it, it is like an instant launch. On, and mm -hmm. I have a, my laptop's two years old. I only have a two Yeah, and they, 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 and they backgrounded a lot of stuff. Like importing yeah. used to kind of lock up your machine, and now importing is a lot smarter with pulling out thumbnails and you know you can immediately start working with them even as the import is going on especially uh, quick preview quick yeah preview. exactly exactly what is, what is quick preview quick preview is uh, i think it's intelligent it actually came out uh in in version two somewhere along the line there but uh you know even when you shoot raw your camera creates uh jpegs mm -hmm. uh for all those photos they might not be the best jpegs in the right, world, little thumbnails unless you're shooting full-on yeah. raw plus jpeg yeah. yeah, yeah, this is a little thing. So what a uh, quick preview allows you to do, you just click on, there's a little icon in the lower right corner, uh, you know, it's the easiest way to turn it on. And you're basically giving Aperture permission to use whatever image it can get a hold of at the moment. So while you're importing, Aperture hasn't had time to generate thumbnails yet. It's working on it and and. Uh, larger size previews, but it can just grab, you know, uh, those JPEGs off your card or whatever and show them to you right away. So you can start sorting and rating, uh, you know, looking at your images and all that. And then in the background, what it does is uh, it keeps working. It, then it'll replace, it'll keep replacing with higher, uh, you know, quality versions of that. First the thumbnails and then the previews that you have set. Uh, itself and it does that all in the background, but quick preview allows you to get to work right away with whatever aperture can use, and then it magically uh, does the upgrading behind the scenes it's it's I like it a lot very cool 
All right, guys, let's uh, let's jump into the picks of the week real quick. And normally in this segment, we just talk about our favorite, you know, or some notable website, product, service, feature, you know, camera, whatever. But I figure since we're doing a very Aperture 3 focused show, let's just uh, pick your favorite feature from that application. If you had to pick one feature that you would not purchase the software if it wasn't there, which would it be? And we'll start with Ron. Ron? Uh, actually, just because I wanted to work this into the show somewhere, I'm going to give you my least favorite feature in Aperture. <laughs> <laughs> the unpick of the week. <laughs> yes, just because I want to embarrass them into fixing this. And this is a real little tiny thing, but it just drives me a it drives me nuts. Uh, <laughs> it ha- by default, Aperture still has when you go to crop an image constrains you to one of these normal aspect ratios, you know, uh, 8 by 10 or 4 by 3 or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, who? I don't even print anything anymore. So what? where is the magic in having this constrained thing turned on uh, to some arbitrary aspect ratio? Yeah, you can turn it off, but you have to turn it off every time you go into it for a new picture, and then it seems to remember that you were in that new, con- new aspect ratio and reconstrain you to it. And it just drives me nuts because I crop a lot of my images and uh you know you're kind of adjusting it to get the most pleasing sort of thing and i really don't care about the aspect ratio at all All i want to know is what am i pulling in and out of the image what am i excluding and including um so that is absolutely my my least favorite piece of the workflow is every time i go to crop an image in aperture i i pull pull hairs out of my head but you can you can turn that off so that you You can turn it off and then you go to the next image and it's on again and you turn it off (laughs) and you go back to the one you and you go back to the one you just edited where you turned it off and it's on again, but it's at the new aspect ratio you dialed in, which is, again, meaningless. Uh, so so this is, uh, folks at Apple, this is a cry for help from Ron Brinkman. They, they've heard it, but <laughs> somebody else will hear it now. <laughs> All right, Joseph, what's your pick or unpick of the week? <laughs> well, I'm going to go with a pick. It's, it's the project portability, the ability to get projects or pieces of projects out of a library uh, and then back in again simply. It just it means multiple computer workflows are simple, simple, simple now. So if I want to have my main library on a desktop machine and then be you know out in the field on a shoot and capturing photos from there, it's just so easy now to move those pictures from my laptop back into the desktop machine. And then if I need to take them back out again, to flip them back over to the laptop again. So that's, that's key. And it's, it's nothing that wasn't possible before, but it is just so much easier now that uh, that is my picking the app. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I just, just to chime in real quick, I, I totally agree that, that you know, that those, those little features like that for pro and con, but in this case, in, for a pro where, you know, if you just line up a list of features, uh, it's hard to sort of describe the impact of something simple like the ability to switch libraries just on the fly versus yeah. having to quit out and come back in. But man, now that I can do it, it's just, it's just so nice. And I mean, it really... It's really strong as a from a workflow perspective to yep. being able to do that sort of thing. Really and, and, and curves. I'm going to throw that one in there, too. Right. So happy to see curves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, uh, Derek's story, do you have a pick or an unpick? I do. I, I love all the stuff that, that Ron Joseph talking about a lot. Uh, but, you know, I have a pick and then just a quick tip. And uh, the adjustment brushes, though, I, I just have to. There's just no way to get around how that's going to change my workflow and sort of eliminating 
so much more of the round tripping that I had to do before. It's you know that we always taught in class that you know yeah you could click on on the blue car and and saturate it, but if you got a blue sky, you're saturating the blue sky at the same time. And now I can just take the brush and and work on the car. I think that that's fabulous. And then uh, my tip uh, is that if you're not a big faces person. Uh, or if you don't think it's something you can be using right away, there's you can turn that off in, in preferences so that uh, the application, especially if you're bringing in a really large library, if you're moving in, uh, so if you don't want it churning away, uh, working on that uh, because you know Aperture's got a lot to do when you when you bring a version two library in. Uh, I would just turn that off in the beginning and then let it you know get everything else set and then if you want to start using Faces, uh, turn it on. Excellent. All excellent tips. And my my pick is a pick, and it's one little tiny feature in the application that um, I just like blurring stuff. And now that I can load, <laughs> now that I can load, you know, in that app, I can load a brush with blur and paint that into selective areas. Because part of my workflow in Lightroom uh, Photoshop is to use a plugin from On One software called Focal Point, um, yeah. which does something similar. It's kind of like a lens baby in software where you can drag planes and do all this stuff. Now the now the the blur brush or feature in Aperture isn't like that. I mean, you can just paint blur into certain areas, but uh, it's a start. So I think I think that's a pretty cool feature. Derek, have you ever played with that stuff? Oh, I love it. Uh, the, the blur brush? Yeah. Oh, my God. We were doing it in class, and everyone, you know, was just like, you know, right away, you could just, you could just feel everyone's blood pressure going up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really cool feature. All right. And I will, uh, so I just wanted to close this show on, you know, this wasn't intended to be a Lightroom bashing show or, or a show where we pit Lightroom versus Aperture, but just more of an overview and kind of highlight some of the deltas between the two applications. Because I think we all agree in the end, um, it's all about the photography. You know, it's all about the art. And when someone's looking at your photo, unless they're another geeky photographer like you are, they don't really care what you use to create that photo. So it's all about it's all about the end result and you know, the journey is your joy, but the end result is your your potential viewer's joy. You guys agree with that? Oh yeah. I do. Absolutely. Yeah. So the with the with the competition between these two applications, in the end the photographers win. You know, it's it's that plain that's, old competition. That's, that's exactly right. Is you know, I, I love the fact that they are going to continue to leapfrog each other and you know there's no matter which one you're using, there's always going to be that moment of, oh, gosh, should I switch to the other one? And, you know, mm-hmm. there will be times that you probably will and, you know, maybe back and forth a few times, yeah. uh, depending on how daring you are and how willing you are to put up with switching libraries. But <laughs> ultimately, you know, there's going to be this leapfrog going on and, and, and we win. Yeah. And I would suggest to the Lightroom photographers out there that are, that are uh, you know, looking and, and lusting after Aperture 3, look and lust, maybe download the, the Aperture 3 uh, trial. It's a 30-day trial, but I would hold off on making any purchases until you see the full release of Lightroom 3. Then you can make a really informed decision between the two. Because if you do it now, and then Lightroom comes out and there's something in there that you wanted, you have to switch your library back. So just be smart about you. There's no there's no loss in waiting and playing with Aperture. You know, you may fall in love with it, you may switch, but if your library is already on the Lightroom side. What I'm doing personally is is I'm going to wait until I see what Lightroom 3 has for me, and then I'll make an informed decision when I have both full releases in my hand. 
And um, with that, I think we're we're coming up on the end of the show. So we'll uh, we'll go in order. I'm looking at my conference call Skype list here. Ron's at the top. So Ron, where can people find you? Uh, on the web is digital composting is my blog, and on Twitter's is uh, Ron Brinkman. Oh, and actually, I just wanted a couple quick things. I wanted to say. Yeah, first of all, I want to give a real quick shout out to uh, borrowlenses.com. This is total. Uh, they let me get some gear for free to try out, and I just wanted to say thank you to that. So, yep. uh, awesome, awesome service. I got I got to play with the uh, Canon uh, uh, eighty-five millimeter one point two lens. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's sweet. <laughs> it's a really nice <laughs> it's a lens. Good lens. It's uh, it's a little bit slower focusing than my fifty millimeter one point four, but boy, does it make pretty pictures. <laughs> um, and the other thing I want to say is I, I'm going to be down, and I think some of the, the other guys, too, are going to be down at PMA uh, in Anaheim this coming weekend, so a few days after you hear this podcast. Uh, so if there's any of our listeners that are going to be down there, you know, find us on Twitter or on, off the website, Twiplog, and you know, send an email. Let me know, and maybe we can, we can meet up or at least say hey or something yeah. uh, during that show. Awesome. And Joseph, where are you located? Well, since this seems to be the Aperture episode, I'll go ahead and, and throw everybody at that site. So AperturePert.com and on Twitter is uh, at AperturePert. And since we're throwing out extras in there, I just want to remind everybody we do have the TWIP weekend workshop coming up this weekend. Um, if you're listening to this on Thursday, you've still got one day. <laughs> yeah. We start on Friday. So maybe a little late to book flights if you're coming from out of town. But if you're in the L.A. area, um, just go ahead and sign up and Come on down. We'd love to have you. It's all down in Joshua Tree. It's going to be a great time. Yep, yep. You and I are both hosting that, so that should, be, right. that should be really fun. Real fun. Yep. And Mr. Derek Story, our very special guest host, where where can people find you online? Oh, well, everything runs through thedigitalstory.com, so if you want to follow on Twitter, there's a button there you can click on. And I'm going to be in the Low Pro booth uh, down at PMA. I'm the photography evangelist for them among other things so, yeah. so uh come by and uh i'll show you some of the some of the great gear they've got going right now too which is a lot of fun i mean i love the artistry of photography but god i'm a gearhead you know photographers i have a a, a room in my house that has nothing but photography bags in it and, okay and, and most of them are low pro by the way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome okay and uh, just just to uh, just a, a general housekeeping reminder about the show, if you uh, want to learn more about this show and look at our show notes and all that stuff, head over to our, our official website. That's at twiplog.com. All the information on the workshop that Joseph mentioned and show notes and all that other good stuff is located there. We also have a very vibrant and active Flickr community with almost 100,000 images generated by almost 10,000 users. Um, that you can just search for TWIP or, or This Week in Photography on Flickr to find that. And we link to it also from TWIP Log. And also, uh, we have a brand new Facebook page, so be sure to check us out there and uh, become a fan of us, and you'll, you'll be updated when the show releases and all that good stuff. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me on my blog at frederickvan.com or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> <laughs>